What is it like to see the kids grabbing the notes? And, and by the way, if you adults would like children's notes as well, uh, feel free to take them. Um, you can maybe grab them before the service, or if you want to come up and be like a child, that is okay. If it helps you, it's fine. You know, use it. And um, I, I know some of you adults use it, and that's that's great. Um, the kids, especially, is there. You can look at my pictures, and boy, maybe I need to make some more notes. So. It'll work there. Well, let me introduce things today just by talking a little bit about Bible study. Whenever you study the Scriptures, perhaps one of the the key things and most important things is to discover what is the main thought of whatever you're looking at. We want to discover what the Bible says. We don't want to have our agenda and push it into the Bible. We want to see what the Bible says and pull out from it. So you're constantly as a de- working as a detective, trying to figure out what it is that the Bible says. And the biggest thing is to do is to, to summarize sections of Scripture. Like, like, for instance, if you are looking at a large section of Scripture, like an entire book, one of the best things to do in terms of studying it is to say, okay, if I had to take this whole thing and wrap it up in just a, uh, one sentence or in a phrase or in a word, what would, what would I use to wrap that up? How would I do that? You can look for thoughts that keep coming up or maybe repeated words or repeated phrases. And, you know, what I have done throughout First Peter is I've simply said this, that First Peter is about suffer now and glory later. And I just use that phrase to really summarize all of First Peter. We saw that in the first part of chapter 1, and we'll be getting into it uh, in the second part of uh, chapter 2. And chapter 3, chapter 4, really is going to talk about that um, a lot. Suffer now, glory later. And if you, if you put that in your mind, he's like, oh, that's what Peter says. You can filter everything through that. It's very helpful. Or, may, or perhaps if you study a smaller portion of Scripture rather than a big big book, you know, maybe you can study just one chapter. And you read it over and you say, what, what is it that chapter's about? And oftentimes repeated phrases will help you with that. And I think about our flocks. We've been studying the book of Ephesians and the flocks. And all of them through chapter 1 or halfway through chapter 1 or somewhere along there. And as we saw in chapter 1, for those of you who have been there, we see this phrase repeated again and again, to the praise of the glory of His grace, to the praise of His glory, to the praise of His glory. When these phrases are repeated time and time again, you say, well, maybe that has to do with the theme of this chapter, this section of Scripture, is that God does things so that He is praised. If you're looking down a smaller section of Scripture, like one verse or one sentence like we have today, oftentimes that was a little bit easier because you just simply need to pull out the simple sentence. And in fact, that's what we're going to do today as we pull out the simple sentence of our text. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1-3. through 3. If you haven't turned there, I invite you to now. It's one sentence. Here, verse 1, 2, and 3. And as I read it, I would challenge you and encourage you just to to pick out the simple sentence. What is the, the very basic? What's the subject? What's the verb? What's the direct object? All right, let me read it for you. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Lots of thoughts there, lots of phrases, but there's one simple sentence. And here's it, here it is. Let me just read it for you. It says, long for the milk. Long for the milk. The subject here is implied. It says, you all, right? It's commanding these people. You all, the verb is to long for, and the object is the milk. Now, Perhaps we can add a few words there to help. Long for the pure milk of the Word. That's really what he's talking about. When he's talking about milk, he's not talking about you know, stuff you buy at Sam's or you buy at Walmart. He's talking about the milk of the Word, that which is pure. He says to long for it. If you have the New International Version in your laps, your version reads, crave pure spiritual milk. If you have the King James Version, your version reads, desire the pure milk of the word, so the New Kings James says, desire, crave, long for the word of God, and, and everything else in this entire sentence all modifies that. And so I've appropriately entitled my message this morning, "Desire the Word." Desire the Word. That's the command, and that's what Peter was telling his readers to do. It's what I want to 
command you to do. It's really the burden of my text. When you go home today, I want you to say, oh, the message today, what was it? Desire the Word. Because that's what it's all about. And everything's going to be focused around there. And everything else around here modifies how it is that we ought to desire the Word. God commands us to desire His Word. It's not merely that He wants you to think favorably about His Word. It's not that He merely wants you to tolerate what the Scripture says. He wants you to have a strong desire for His Word. The Greek word here, epipotheo, speaks about just a, a passion. Uh, potheo, kind of which we get passions from. And an epi, it just makes that a bigger, longing passion. Have that for your Word, for the Word of God. Oftentimes, when written, it's often talked about how a person longs to see someone else. Paul, writing to Timothy, said how I long to see you as I remember your tears that I may be filled with joy. To the Philippians, Paul wrote, God is my witness how I long to see you. And Paul was encouraged when the Thessalonians longed to see him just as he said he longed to see them. It's It's really a homesick word. Any of you ever been homesick? You're often away someplace. Maybe your husband's on some kind of business trip. Maybe your kids are off to college. Maybe your your husband's off to war. You know, maybe your wife's his mother-in-law's place for a while. Who, who knows what? But but they're off. And what are you doing? You're thinking about nothing more in your mind than the day in which you're reunited, right? To see them, to know them. You think about that day when you're finally be together, and you can't wait until that day arrives. That's what Peter is telling us here about our relationship to the Word of God. We have to crave and desire and long for the Word of God. It's a loved one who's far away who someday we will be able to see and to be with. Now, throughout the Scriptures, there are various passages which other writers have expressed the same desire. Like Psalm 42, verse 1 is a good one. As the deer longs for the water brook, so my soul longs after you. Epipotheo. Is how the Septuagint translators translate the Hebrew. Same word. I'm longing for you, God, like a, a deer pants for the water brook. And oftentimes this is directed straight towards the Scripture, like we have it here. Psalm 119.97 Oh, how I love Thy law! It's my meditation all the day. I, I love Your law. I think about it all the day. Psalm 119, verse 47, And I shall delight in your commandments, which I love. I love your commandments. I long for them. Psalm 119, verse 40, here it is. I long for your precepts. I have a a passionate, eager desire for the things, God, that you have told us. Job gave us the testimony that he says, I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Now that's a longing. Wanting God's words more than the food that I eat. And that's the sort of sort of attitude that Peter's calling us to have this morning. It's what he means when he says to long for the pure milk of the word. The scriptures ought to be our delight and our joy. We ought to crave them and love them and pursue them. We ought to be like Pavlov's dog. Remember that experiment that Pavlov did that he was understanding just what what takes place psychosomatically within dogs and he rang a bell and that said dinner time and if the dog learned more and more when the dog when the bell rings I mean it's dinner time and he learned that he could just ring the bell and Pavlov starts that his dog starts salivating <laughs> Pavlov but we ought to be like that have anticipate the feast that will soon be set be set before us salivating for the Word of God, right? preparing our taste buds, preparing our minds for the, the time in which we can spend in His Word. Peter calls us to be like Erasmus. Erasmus said this, when I get a little money, I buy books. And if any's left, I buy food. That's what Erasmus said. He was a scholar around the time of um, Luther. He battled with Luther. But his heart there is right. We ought to turn our resources toward the Word of God. If I have money, I will, I will put my resources there. If some's left over, I guess I'll, I'll have food. But that speaks about an incredible, intense desire for the Word that we ought to have. Well, in our text this morning, Peter gives us four ways in which we're to desire the Word. First is this, with purity. And that comes there in first one. 
in verse 1, purity. Therefore, he says, in light of everything that we've just spoken about, but especially looking back to the word that was preached to you, which you received. Therefore, since you received this preached word, put aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Putting those things aside, long for the pure milk of the word. Peter lists out here five sins that he instructs his people to put off in their pursuit of the Word. It's really easy to understand why he would say this because there's a way in which sin in our lives will keep us from the Word of God. Picture yourself in front of your favorite meal. I don't know what your favorite meal is. Everybody's got a different meal in their mind. Maybe for you it's steak and potatoes. Or maybe for SR it's French fries, right? Or maybe for some it's Mexican. Or maybe for some it's Chinese. And you have it there and you're Pavlov's dog, right? And you're salivating and you're all ready to go at that, all right? So you got it in front of your mind, right? You have it? Tom, what's in front of your mind right now? Any? Fries is your choice, right? Eric, what's in your mind right now? You've got a plate there. What's in your mind? Steak, you're right there, big, luscious. Doug, what's on your mind? <laughs> you know I'd call on you. Nothing. Slim fast or something? <laughs> An MRE. That's maybe what's in your mind. You got this. You got this big, nice thing you're desiring and going after, right? Now picture someone who takes their, their handful of sand. It's got a handful of sand and then just starts sprinkling it over your meal like that. What's going to happen to your passion and desire for your meal? It's going down, right? You're you're not going to want it. You're not going to delight in it. Suddenly it has disappeared. I don't care how much you like your meal that's in, in front of you. The sand coating on top of it, which sinks down into every crevice of everything, you're just not going to be able to take a bite out of there without getting some crunchy things, and those things don't taste very well. It's the same effect that sin has a desire upon the Word of God. If there's sin in your life, you won't have an appetite for the Word. You won't. If there's sin in your life, you won't have an appetite for the Word. And it's interesting, just throughout the Bible, just the testimony is you see wicked people... They have no desire for the Word because of the sin that stirs in them. Psalm 119, verse 150. Those who follow after wickedness are far from your law. If you pursue wickedness, you'll be far from the Word of God. Psalm 119, verse 55. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek your statutes. Salvation and and wicked is far because they don't seek the statutes. Because their sin has so involved them, they don't seek those things. Proverbs 1, verse 7, Fools despise wisdom and destruction. Who's the foolish person? The sinful person. The one who's walking unwisely, sinfully. And if you walk in sin, you're not going to have a desire for God's Word. But the reverse is true. If you have an appetite for God's Word, you'll be helped in your battle against sin. Time and time again, the opening chapters of Proverbs, Solomon tells his son, remember my words, remember my words, remember my words. And what does his words do? Keeps him from the enticing sinners. Keeps him from the adulterous men. The adulterous women. Keeps him from the evil men. Proverbs 2. My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, then... You will discern righteousness and justice and equity and every good course. If you pursue God's word, it will keep you from sin. Your word have I treasured my heart that I might not sin against you. You treasure the Bible deep in your heart and it will help you in your battle against sin. In the front of John Bunyan's Bible, he wrote the following truism. He said, this book, the Bible, will keep you from sin. Or he said, sin will keep you from this book. That's what Peter is saying here. He counsels readers to long for the pure milk of the Word, first telling them to put aside all evil. He says, put aside all malice. Put aside all deceit. Put aside hypocrisy. Put aside envy. Put aside all slander. Don't walk in these ways. Let's just spend a few moments of time thinking about each of these sins. Malice. Kakia. 
just talking about general wickedness or general badness. It's like a, an umbrella term for wickedness, just evil. It says, put that aside. It's used in chapter 2, verse 16, where it's just translated as evil. Act as free men. Don't use your freedom as a covering for kakia, for evil. Just don't, don't do that. Deceit. This word focuses upon evil, crafty, the scheming and, and planning. The idea here is, is um, of deception. It's what deceit is here. Describes the one who speaks with an ulterior motive like the false apostles in Corinth who disguise themselves so as to gain an advantage. Or it speaks about what the religious leaders, when they tried to conquer Jesus, what they did was they tried to gather Him and trick Him by stealth, right? By deceit. And Peter says, just be open and honest and truthful as Jesus was. Because Jesus committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in His path, found in His mouth. The third term, hypocrisy. comes here in verse 1. Hypocrisy. We looked at that two weeks ago when we looked at chapter 1, verse 22. This rude idea of this word has deception again. But rather than trying to deceive others to trap them in wickedness, the, the idea here we get is that we're trying to deceive others of our true self. Right? We're putting on a, a charade or a facade so that others don't find who truly we are. The hypocrite's the one who says one thing but does another. The hypocrite's the one who's something on the outside but is something different on the inside. And it's easy to see how hypocrisy would lead you away from the Word of God. Right? I mean, the last thing a hypocrite wants is someone to, to, to crack open a shell to see really what he's like on the inside. And it says in Scripture, the Word of God is living and active and can pierce deep into our hearts to find our true self. The hypocrite doesn't want that. If you have hypocrisy, you're not going to have a desire for the Word of God. Peter says, do you want to desire the Word of God? Then pretend no longer. Let's not be pretenders. Let's be honest with others and with ourselves. Fourth term, envy. Describes resentment that you have towards someone else because of what they have. Now, this could manifest itself in lots of different ways. It could be jealousy. They've got something and I want it. That's why I envy them. It might be flush yourself out in coveting. Oh, I wish I was in their shoes. Or it might flush us out in stealing. You might steal from them so they don't have because you've envied them so badly. You may see it in your sin against others as you try to deprive them of happiness. right? Because they're happy. And rather than rejoicing with those who rejoice... You are not rejoicing with them. And that's what this word envy is, is getting at. You'll see it in a lack of love for other people when you envy what they have, what they can do. The fifth word here, slander, literally means to speak down. Rather than building one another up, these people build, tear each other down with their words. This is a word word. It's talking about those who say things with their mouth so as to bring others down. It means speaking badly of others, often unfairly. In fact, it's used here in chapter 2, verse 12. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, as they observe, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. You're doing good deeds, but they're calling you evildoers, right? They're slandering you, trying to bring you down, tear you down. Five sins, we could go into each of those much more detail. I just wanted to umbrella them. But they will all hinder your pursuit of the Word of God. And it is interesting, I think, that how many of these have to do with your sin towards other people. Not even, it's just not, not necessarily even just your sin before God that keeps you away from His Word. Your sin with other people will keep you from His Word. You want to desire the Word? Then live with purity. Avoid sin. Second, you want to desire the Word? Desire the Word with passion. Comes the first part of, part of verse 2. Like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the Word. When it comes to the Word of God, your desire ought to be like the passion with which a baby longs for milk. How many of you have seen that before? Yeah? You've seen that? We've seen it in the Brandon household. In fact, less than six months ago, our son David was born. 
And we've been able to see and experience this metaphor that Peter uses firsthand. firsthand. In fact, if any of you have seen our baby David, you'd see that he loves to eat. In fact, I have affectionately called him Chunky sometimes because of uh, the, the passion with which he has loved to eat. But as we have just noticed over these past several months, my wife and I have just written down some things of, of, of ways in which David has desired the pure milk of the Word. And what's interesting is almost all of these can be directly applicable to the Word of God. Let me just give you a slew of them. I'm not sure i got six or seven or eight. Real simple, though. First of all, for David, milk is the sufficient nourishment for him. Sufficient nourishment. It's amazing that I think it was for the first four months of his life, all he drank, all he ate was milk. We've just begun to introduce him to some rice, something, I don't know, real bland, and maybe just a little bit of applesauce, maybe a little bit of potatoes. But other than that, it's just been milk. But milk is totally sufficient for him. In the milk has contained all the nutrients to help his skin and his hair and his eyes and his blood vessels and his bones and his brain. Because the milk has been sufficient for him. In the case of David, milk contains enough fat to make him chubby. That's where he is. It's the same with the Word of God. The Scriptures are all you need to find the nourishment that you need to grow spiritually. Psalm 19, The law of the Lord is perfect. It restores the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise is simple. You want to be a wise man? Devote yourself passionately to the Bible and it will make wise the simple people. Those who are simple and make wise. Here's another observation about David. When David eats, he really eats. All right? Particularly even when he starts. There are times when he, he's going at it. He's... And everybody in the room can hear what's happening. Say, oh, David's eating. He's just consuming it. And it's almost like we told David, okay, you've got, you're on the clock. You've got five minutes to eat everything you're going to eat for the rest of the day. Go. He's just chowing it down. Same with the Word of God. The psalmist says, Psalm 119, verse 131, I opened my mouth wide and I panted and I longed for your commandments. Using the same imagery of longing and panting. So we ought to consume the Word of God. Here on Sunday mornings, you ought to be attentive. At your home, you ought to take and scour through your Bible. When you're not around your Bible, you ought to think upon and meditate upon the truths of Scripture you've put in your heart. Just trying to drink it all in. Well, again, here's another observation concerning our son. Milk is the only thing that will satisfy David. He's not capable of eating French fries, SR. He's not capable of eating steak, Eric. He's not capable of eating those things or green beans or crackers. He wants milk and until he gets it, he won't be satisfied. It's the same thing with the Word of God. You can saturate your life with Christian experience, all sorts of Christian activity, but ultimately, this is only, it's only going to be the Scripture that satisfies your soul. Psalm 119, verse 72, The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. And the psalmist there is saying that of everything in the world, thousands of gold and silver pieces, nothing satisfies me like the Word. That's ultimately the only place you'll find your satisfaction. Here's another thing about David. We've noticed that after he's eaten, he's very happy. He's very happy. He doesn't fuss much right after he eats. In fact, oftentimes you can see this kind of glazed look on his eyes when he's finished eating. He's like, hmm. Hey, you know, he can't do a lot, but I know that in our... You know, we'd be like, oh man. You ever had that sense after a big meal at dinner? You just kind of go, oh. I mean, we had some international students at our home one time, and they're from China. And uh, we're offering them more food, and they said, no, no, enough. And their English wasn't really, enough, enough. And I said, what do you say in China for enough? And they said, baula. And so we said for the rest of the weekend, we were with them, we said, baula every time we ate. And that's what David says, baula. He's happy and content in the Word of God. And same with the psalmist, Psalm 119, 103. How sweet are your words to my taste. Yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. When you've tasted and filled in the Word of God, you'll be a satisfied soul. Oh, that was good. Here's another observation from our son. He wants his milk frequently. 
though he drinks his milk and his baula, you know in a little bit of time, he's going to want some more. In fact, in his case, he eats six, seven times a day. And he never is he ultimately satisfied. He wants more and more and more and more. Oh, maybe not now at this moment, because he's full at this moment. But just give him a few hours and his stomach's going to growl. He's going to let you know he wants some more. And the same with the Word of God. Psalm 119, 164. Seven times a day I praise you because of your righteous ordinances. Seven times a day, the psalmist says, I'm praising you. Why? Because of your ordinances. Your ordinances are so righteous and so wonderful and so great that I'm just going to turn that into praise seven times a day. It's a continual thing with the psalmist. His day saturated with the Bible and a dosage in the morning isn't enough for him. Here's another thought. David cries for milk are the ways that he expresses his desire. God has made him in such a way that when his stomach gets empty, it's going to give him some pain and that pain is ultimately going to be released in a cry. It's not a sinful cry. It's a cry of need. Nothing can satisfy his desire except for milk. And he's crying until he gets that. And he'll continue to cry and continue to cry and continue to cry until he gets that milk. So also with the psalmist, Psalm 119, 81 and 82. My soul languished for your salvation. I wait for your word. My eyes fail with longing for your word. So I'm saying, my soul is, is yearning for your word. My eyes are failing. My soul, I'm just aching and aching for your word until I get it and then I'll be satisfied. One last observation. And all the others up until now, I think there's direct application. This one has got some, but maybe not a mandatory kind of deal. But the first thing that David does when our baby awakes is he eats his milk. The last thing he does before he goes to sleep is he eats his milk. Very first thing. He wakes up. He says, dinner time, breakfast time. Right? And right before bed, he says, where's my snack? I need to have my drink before bed. In fact, on Friday evening, we put him to bed and he cried and he cried and he cried and he cried because he didn't think he got enough for his snack to last the whole night. Finally, after Vaughn gave him some more food, he was content and ready for bed. Now, that's not necessarily how it is, the Scriptures, but... Psalm 119, 147, I rise before dawn and cry for help. I wait for your words. Then the psalmist says in 119, verse 62, At midnight I shall rise and give thanks to you because of your righteous ordinances. psalmist says first thing in the morning he's going to seek the word. And even at midnight he's going to get up and praise God because of the word. Reflects a passion he has for the word of God. And it would be a good idea for you all. To follow Robert Murray McShane's counsel. Never see the face of man till you've seen his face, who is our life, our all. And don't go to bed at night thinking about other things apart from the Word of God that would help you too. Well, that's how we ought to desire the Word with purity, with passion, and thirdly now, with purpose. That comes the second part of verse 2. So that, right? Long for the pure milk of the Word, so that. That's a purpose word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. In other words, the reason for longing for the milk of the Word is ultimately to grow in your salvation. Literally, Peter even says to grow into salvation. It's kind of a strange phrase. We don't, we don't think about growing into salvation. But I think what Peter's talking here is talking about maturity. Ultimately, until that final day when our salvation is real, realized the last time, chapter 1, verse 5. I think that's what he's talking about, maturity. But don't, don't just say, oh, that's maturity and I don't need to pursue that. Realize that there is some, some element here of importance for your salvation as well. Long for the pure milk so that you may grow into salvation. Now, obviously, we're saved, we believe, and stuff like that, but... But don't lose the weight of what Peter's saying here. That you may grow into salvation to that final day when finally we are saved. Right? When the final day, chapter 1, verse 9, when we obtain as the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls. Right? But the Word has an impact upon our faith, which delivers us secure until the end. You know, see, it's our intake of the Word of God that helps us grow into maturity. 
spiritually. If you see a chubby little infant like my son, what's your conclusion? He likes milk. He's been pursuing it. And you see someone who's mature in their walk with God, what are you going to say? He likes the Word. He likes the pure milk of the Word. He's been growing it. He's been drinking it in. You can't expect a child to grow into an adult unless what do you have? Daily, constant meals over a long period of time. If you want to grow in your maturity, likewise, you need to, for a long period of time, daily have daily dosages of the Word of God. In several places in Scripture, people are admonished for failing to have this proper intake and application of the Word. Like, for instance, Paul told those in Corinth, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink and not solid food. He's talking there about just easy things, not complex theological things. For you are not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able. Why? For you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly and are you not walking like mere men? Since their sin is keeping them away from maturity. Paul speaks about how they were still infants. They never grew up to be strong men. Why? Because they're fleshly. Jealousy and strife were still among them and they couldn't handle the meat of the Word. They still had milk and even that they couldn't have. Because even the simple Word they received, they didn't, they didn't apply. Instead, they continued in their sin and their fleshly desires and thereby they never grew up. The writer of the Hebrews says the same thing in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12 and through 14. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need for someone again to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you've come to need milk and not solid food. And he goes on to say that um, for everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he's an infant. But solid food is for the mature who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. He says you're not growing in the truth. You should be teachers by now, but... You can't handle the solid food, which he equates with the word of righteousness. You just need milk. You just need little sermonettes for Christianettes. You're not there. You can't handle the word of righteousness, is what he is saying. You haven't made the, tr- the, the transition from the elementary principles of the oracles of God to the word of righteousness. It says you're not growing in your salvation. It says you're not maturing. What do they need? They needed to take the Word of God, apply it in their lives so that they could discern good and evil and walk in the appropriate ways. At this point, let me just make a a side parenthetical comment about Bible interpretation. Um, 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter uses the illustration about being an infant in a positive way. He's not saying, hey, you need to go beyond it. He's saying, no, you be like an infant and really passionately desire the Word. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and Hebrews chapter 5, he uses infant in a bad way because he's talking about an infant. You should be a mature man, right? And, and you're just like an infant who waits for everything to come, but you need to be mature. Now, be careful, and I've seen people do this before, is they think that the same metaphor, same illustration has to be used the same way in all portions of Scripture. And it's not. An infant here is a good thing. An infant in another passage is a bad thing. So let the context determine that. So end of end of parentheses. That's just something you tuck back in your noggin for some time when you're looking at the scriptures. Well, getting back to First Peter, we see this principle: the better you eat, the better will be your growth. The better you eat, the better will be your growth. If you maintain a diet of potato chips and cheese puffs and Twinkies, you're not going to go strong. If you attempt to live on ice cream and candy bars, the only way that you're going to grow is outward. Your sugar turns into fat. If you go for days at a time without eating, you'll be anemic and weak. But a healthy, balanced diet from all the basic food groups will allow your body to go grow strong. The more diligent you are on your diet, the better be your growth. And I believe that one of the, the, the key principles behind a, a steady, balanced diet is purpose. Reason. Weight Watchers helps because at the end of the day, at the end of the week, you're going to stand on that scale, right? And the purpose of standing on that scale and seeing what's going to happen gives you reason then to pursue a good diet today because you know it's going to happen at the end of the week. An athlete will diligently watch over what he's eating 
because he knows it's going to be healthy for him. Even He'll drink an un, untasty protein shake perhaps because he knows okay, that's going to be protein. That's going to make my body stronger. Take these vitamins and learn to swallow these pills if he has to. Why? Because the purpose is going to make me perform better. Why is it that children often want to have a snack before dinner? Because they don't understand the purpose of dinner. Dinner is to get all your basic food groups, to have a well-balanced diet. And if you eat your sh- sugar right now and your candy and your snack, you're not going to eat very well. And ultimately down the road, what's going to happen? You're going to be impoverished. But get people to understand the purpose and it takes them a long way in their eating habits. That's what Peter's doing. He's giving a, a purpose of why we ought to intake the Word of God into our souls. That's how we grow, right? Do you want to grow in your faith? You want to grow in your faith? I trust you do. Pursue the Scriptures. You want to be a godly man or woman? Pursue the Scriptures. You want to see your life more and more devoted to God? Crave the Word of God. You know, over the years, I've given this advice to people, and particularly men, who reply and say, well, Steve, I'm just not a reader, is what they say. And thereby, they found excuse for themselves in not pursuing after God's Word with any degree of diligence. And I can, I can relate and sympathize that difficulty. I really can. But let me tell you also this. Over the years, I've also seen people who said on one day, I'm not a reader. Like, I remember the testimony of one man that I knew. He said, he graduated from college. He said, I never read any book in college. He read just a little bit, but just enough to get... He never read through any other book. In grade school, middle school, high school, college. Never read through anything. He gets saved. He understands the way to grow in his faith is through the Scriptures. And now this man just does nothing but reads. I said, something's happened to that man. What's happened? He's seen a purpose in his life. Christ has opened his eyes to the glories of the Gospel. And though he hardly read anything before with his life, with an understanding that if I want to grow in my love for Christ, I need to do so through the Scriptures, the man is a voracious reader today. i give you other examples of people I've, I've heard. You know, one example that comes to my mind is C.J. Mahaney. You know, I really respect him as a pastor of a church out in uh, Gaithersburg, Maryland. I mean, this guy, he, did, he, he graduated from high school barely. Couldn't even get into college. He was high on drugs when he was saved. And everything I hear the testimony of this guy is how much he reads, how much he reads, how much he reads, how much he reads. High school education. Pursuing things. Why? Because I think he's got a purpose in mind. And I would just say this. Would the truth be known, you would eat just about anything if the purpose was grand enough. Children can be made to eat just about anything if they know that discipline is coming on the back end if they don't. Contestants on a reality television show will eat the grossest things if the prize money's big enough. People will take their medicine if their life is at stake. I think the key to it all is purpose and goal. You know, this came home to me a few years ago in my acquaintance with a, a woman who, um, who I know. The bells know. Barb Webb is a is a woman. She was diagnosed. Okay, here, physicians, you ready? She was diagnosed with primary sclerosing cholangitis. Do you have any idea what that is, Randy? What is it? Exactly. Let me translate for you. That's Walter Payton's disease of his liver. What, I don't even know what it does. Somehow, something is messed up with the liver, and she's been struggling for about 10 years, up and down with her health. She's tried lots of medicines, been in a hospital. In fact, this last year was quite a difficult year for, them, for her, as I remember. I, I talked to somebody who knew her, and she thinks she's out of the hospital now. Um, but early on, I remember that one of the things she was doing, trying all this you know, organic things and uh, everything she could do, and one of the things she did was she took this green powder one time, put several scoops into this glass of water, stirred it up, and she would drink it. And this blue pow- green powder is called blue-green algae superfood. You ever heard of this? Maybe your health food nuts. <laughs> Dan, Dan Irvin knows about this. Some of your health food nuts, Connie. Um, so this is okay to, for any of us you know, to have and eat, but um, it's told it, sold at health food stores. You drink it just to be healthy. Do you drink it? Do you drink it, Dan? No, okay. <laughs> One point I remember having the opportunity to like see this stuff, and, and I smelled it. And you know what it smelled like to me? 
What does it smell like, Dan? Yeah, what's Lawn clippings is what it smells like. It's just nasty. I think it's like chewed up seaweed. And so you take a, a spoonful or two of this three of this stuff, you mix it in this glass water, and it, it turns this water into pond scum green. Literally, all right? Pond scum green. And I, I remember I had a, I could just barely get down one little, one little taste of it because it was so nasty. And I'm sure that the friend of mine, <clears throat> Barb, initially had the same response. But eventually she overcame it because she said this, it's either blue-green algae superfood or life. See, with a purpose then, she began to drink this and it helped her. And maybe it's one thing among a lot of things, but this really helped her in her treatment. I don't know if it's scientific or maybe just a bunch of hogwash, but she she drank it and it has, it has helped her. Um, maybe it's helped her into like, I don't know what it is. But she eventually got to the point <clears throat> where she liked it because to her, she associated that smell with health as she drank that stuff and felt more healthy. It, it helped extend her life, helped her feel better. Why could she drink it? Because she knew the purpose. And I just say there's also a purpose in pursuing the Word of God. Your growth. God will help you with your soul. It will bring great blessings upon your life. If you take it in and apply it, you'll grow unto salvation. So Peter's saying, so there's a purpose in the Word of God. You know, it's... So we preach from it. I'm trying to just model you a passion for getting the Word and getting in your mind how excited you can get about it. I just want to provide resources for you. We have tons of stuff there on the back table. If you're looking for a book to read, to say, you know what, Steve, I really need help in my personal life, my devotional life, family life. Come and talk to me. If you promise to read a book, I'll buy it for you. How's that? You say, I'll, I'll read any book you, you give me. I'll buy you a book and give it to you and see you read it. I'm just that convinced that that's how it's going to help you pursuing the Bible. Desire the word with purity, with passion, with purpose. And finally, verse 3, with pleasure. I only have a, a little bit of time here with this. But look what Peter says in verse 3. If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. I think that Peter's point here is that he's urging us to desire the word not out of duty, but out of delight. It's a big difference between those two words. So as you hear this word, passionately long for the, the Word of God, don't say, oh, i got this duty i got to do. No, here it is. Oh, it's a delightful thing. I will gladly do that. See, because the good news about God's Word is this, is um, God's Word tastes like candy. I, I'm exactly serious when I say this. Psalm 19, David says, Your words are more desirable than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey in the drippings of honeycomb. You take God's word, it's going to be sweeter than honey. But on the back end, it's going to have the same effect as blue-green algae superfood. So it's going to have if the illustration carries over. God's word isn't chopped up seaweed, but it acts like that, providing great health benefits. That's what Jeremiah said. Listen to what he said. Jeremiah 15, verse 16, Your words were found and I ate them. And your words came for me, became for me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I have been called by your name, O Lord of hosts. It's a perfect description of what Peter is describing here. The Word of God you're tasting becomes sweet. Why? Because of your relationship that you have with the Lord. Uh, Jeremiah had experienced this call of God upon his life. It says, I've been called by your name, O Lord of hosts. He's tasted the kindness of the Lord. And then, having tasted the kindness of the Lord, what did his attitude become with respect to the Word of God? I ate them, and your words became for me joy and delight. They were sweet to him because he knew the kindness of the Lord. And I simply say this, have you experienced the kindness of the Lord in your life? The experience is kind. I mean, what an amazing thing the gospel is that we have rebelled against the Lord, spurned Him, sinned against Him with a high hand, then are brought near to God through the blood of Christ. We don't have to pay for our sins. We don't have to make up our sins. 
We don't have to spend years in purgatory. We simply need to come to Jesus hating our sin. Saying, God, you hate my sin. I hate my sin. Help me to remove it from me. I repent of that. I believe in you. I trust you. And the promise of the gospel is this. Jesus says, the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. What an amazing thing that is. By mere confession, Jesus will receive us. What kindness is that? And then when you realize that such words are typical of the sorts of things contained in the Scriptures, <laughs> give me more of those words. Give me more. Let me see of how great and how kind you are. In fact, Psalm 136, I read earlier, the loving kindness of the Lord is everlasting. The loving kindness of the Lord is everlasting. The loving kindness of the Lord is everlasting. 22 times in 22 verses, the loving kindness of the Lord is everlasting. That's what this book's about. It's about His loving kindness toward us who have rebelled against Him. When you've tasted the kindness of God and when you've come to realize that God is for you and not against you, you've come to experience the joy of knowing God, everything that you do then will drive you to His Word. Then as you experience Him more, you'll want more. Because see what's going to happen. If you've tasted the kindness of the Lord, you know what? What happens after you taste the kindness of the Lord? You pursue His Word. And what happens when you pursue His Word? What do you see there? You see the kindness of the Lord. And then you experience more of the kindness of the Lord. And then what happens? You say, oh, I want to pursue your word more. And then you pursue your more. And then you get more of the kindness of the Lord. And back and forth, back and forth. And it just grows and grows and grows and grows and grows. That's what Jesus said in John 14, 21. He who loves me has my commandments. And he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and disclose myself to him. You have Christ's commandments, you keep them, you show your love. If you love Christ, Father will show that, disclose Himself to you, and in disclosing Himself to you, you'll have a greater love for God, and having a greater love for God, you'll desire His commandments more, you'll demonstrate your love. As you demonstrate your love, God will show Himself more to you, and it just keeps cycling up and up and up and up. And that's what Peter's talking about here. If you've tasted the kindness of the Lord, pursuing the Word of God is not a burden, it's a delight. At this point, I just want to bring something right, kind of down to where the rubber meets the road. I'm not sure if you had this question. I, I know I had this question. In verse 2, when Peter tells us to long for the pure milk of the Word, um, it's kind of strange if you think about it. It's a little bit like he's saying, I want you to like green beans. We think that, no, we just something about us. Either we like green beans or we don't like green beans. It's like, like telling my wife, honey, I want you to desire football. Now, believe me, over years, I've tried to get my wife to like football. It's just, there's something, it doesn't, it doesn't connect. I've said, Yvonne, there's a game on. Why don't you come sit down here with me on my couch? Let's snuggle and watch the game. And after about five minutes, her eyes are like glazed over saying, what is going on here? And even snuggling isn't enough to keep her on the couch. And she gets off and she does her things. I'm a football fan. I desire football. She's not. She doesn't. And we can think of this commandment of the Word. Well, desire the Word. Well, for you, Steve, it's easy. You're a pastor. You've got to be there. For us, no. But Peter wrote this to everybody and said, desire the pure milk of the Word. And it is something I think that, that God has to cultivate in your life. It's not something you can drum up. It's got to be something that God cultivates. But when He cultivates it, you're not going to be able to stay away from the football game. You're not going to be able to stay away from the Word of God. And so I just ask you, do you desire, do you long for the pure milk of the Word? You know, I had in my message also a, a big, big way of how we can desire the Word and why. We can desire the Word. You know, there's lots of ways. If you need help with that, I can certainly help you. The biggest way is to read, memorize. I found in recent days, I picked up some memory. Uh, you know, I memorized First Peter, and I found that such a delight to my soul. I've been working on that, just continually more and more, just memorizing more and more scriptures, long passages. And I find that that really helps, because outside of the pulpit then, I'm thinking about the God's Word, rather than thinking about the bears, who are terrible anyway. Right? Or read the Bible, or study the Bible, or, or read books. Maybe have an accountability. Yeah, have accountability with somebody. Family worship is a great way to get yourself in the Bible. 
Okay, is it time for family worship? 8.30, let's have family worship. Let's gather together. Let's get around. Let's read the Bible. You can read the Bible. Train your kids. Show the reality and relevance of God's Word. Find some other form of accountability. Read the Bible. Summarize it like I've said. You know, some of the easy ways to do it is, okay, 1 Peter chapter 1, what's it about? 1 Peter chapter 2, what's it about? 1 Peter chapter 3. And try to summarize things like that. Just really read it. Go after it. And then trust that God's going to work that in your life. And let me say one last thing. Why did Paul, Peter put this here? Why should we long for the pure milk of the Word? And here we can bring it up to the entire book of 1 Peter. Suffer now, glory later. <clears throat> When you pursue and passionately desire the Word of God, it's going to help you to suffer well. Because the Word's going to be deep in you. You're going to be able to respond to circumstances. You're going to be able to put your heart and your hope upon the glory that's to come. I think that's what Peter's getting at as he's preparing people for coming up. Chapter 2, verse 13 and following. We're going to see a lot of suffer now. If you get the Word inside of you, you'll be able to endure those much better. God gives you strength through your remembrance of the Word. Well, let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would help us with these things. None of us are sufficient in ourselves to be like the, the psalmist who desired and passionately pursued your word. Uh, but I pray you'd stir in us so much to see the word not as a duty, but as a delight. Show us your kindness that we would then pursue you with greater abandonment. Give us a passion. May we be on fire Christians who love the Lord Jesus Christ and want to make him known. So help us in these things. God, may, may you build Rock Valley Bible Church to be a, a church that's modeled after, that is exampled after those writers of the Scripture who ate your words and found them sweet and uh, speak, forth, speak forth what they've learned and follow after you in the ways in which they've learned. So help us to be not people who hear the Word and don't do it, but may we hear the Word and do it and may we glory in, glory in Christ throughout it all. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.